This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the forks of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that's just way too lazy to come up with a twisty line right now it's M. Night Shyamalan twisty whoa oh, there's a twist. he did it again we're all surprised because of the twist and the m night Shyamalan. i'm so yeah. over him yeah, yeah, yeah. at this the, point the, the twist here is that we didn't come up with a twist that might be it Ooh. i didn't even bother putting in the time to think of anything to say of this is the show that fill in the blank. Nope, I'm done because M. Night no. Shyamalan has broken me. I'm done. <laughs> Shocker, there's a twist in this thing. Who would have thunk it? I mean, who could have possibly seen that coming? Everyone? I, is everyone an answer? I feel like if he ever puts out a movie that doesn't have a twist. That's the real twist. People are going to lose their shit. They'll be like, I know what's going to happen. He's going to twist it around here somehow, and then he doesn't, and it goes exactly as expected, and you go, huh, didn't see that coming. It would be perfect. That's like his long con, and that's his masterpiece right there. It's like he just told a, a straight film and nailed it. No <laughs> twisties at all. Just 50 years from now, people watch the movie, and they're like, it's the most predictable thing ever. Why do people say this is great? <laughs> it's kind of like when the artist won Best Picture as a silent film. It was just 90 years after silent films, and yeah. everyone's like, this is masterful. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Glass from 2019, directed by. The Twisty Man. M. Night Shyamalan, him. <laughs> the Twisty Man. That's probably the title of his next movie. It probably will be, and I'll still see it. I hate me at this point. You know, curiosity just gets the better of you, and you're like, all right, how is he going to twist this one around? I'll go see it, I guess. This curious little cat just won't die. It's true. Cinema cats probably love him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Brian, you ever seen Glass? I have never seen Glass. I have intentionally avoided it just for the sake of this show. And now that you've seen Glass? I've seen Glass. All right. And I don't know how I feel about it, and I think we're going to have to dive into that as we go. Have you ever seen Glass? Never. And I'm in the same boat as you. I have no no idea how I feel about this thing. Part of me is like, hey, that was neat. Part of me is like, why? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those, I was like, first 90 minutes, pretty neat, actually. Yeah. Next 30 minutes, unnecessary. (laughs) <laughs> we'll get there do you just want to dive right into this thing spoilers yeah. twist there Let, we did it let's just get to the twists or will we what if that's nope. the twist if we just stopped it where we think the movie should have ended like and that's glass perfect movie maybe and that's still the twist. not but better yeah. movie we'll get there we'll get there we start off with david dunn played by bruce willis bruce fucking willies that's right he is still up to his old Unbreakable shenanigans 19 years later. And if you haven't seen Unbreakable, you should watch Unbreakable because this movie will make no sense without it. It's true. Also, if you haven't seen Split, you should probably watch Split before as well because this movie will make no sense without it. Absolutely no sense. So yeah, episode 81, we did Unbreakable. Episode 102, we did Split. Go listen to those so you know what you're in for here. But this David Dunn character, he goes out into the streets of Philadelphia and touches up on unsuspecting passerbys until he gets a vision that they're up to no good. 
That's his whole shtick. And we should preface what Brian just said, that he's not just going around being a gropey grope. It's that he has to like rub into people in order to see their visions, to see the badness within them. Yeah, he's got to have that physical contact in order to see if they're, they're bad. Right, he needs fabric on fabric contact. <laughs> That's exactly what, what it does. Is. It. <laughs> I need to be within proximity of them, but like the touching variety of cotton on cotton. What's this raincoat made out of? Polyester? I'm not going to be able to see the crime! The only difference between then and now is that he has help from his son Joseph, who is once again, 19 years later, played by Spencer Treat Clark, who is a Spencer Treat. Is he, though? He's in this. Of this... Spencer Variety. You know what? I almost feel like he does more in this movie than Bruce Willis does. That's mostly because he does. But at the same time, I don't know why they kept sending him to the eye doctor to get his eyes dilated and then just send him to set. Because that's what his (laughs) eyes look like all the time. Yeah. Just two giant black orbs where eyeballs should be. (laughs) It's like if Mantis were his mom, that's (laughs) his human Funko Pop. That's exactly it. (laughs) So yeah, David Dunn is no longer meandering the city aimlessly. He's got a guy in the chair. Yeah, and I do want to say, Spencer Tree Clark is not bad in this movie. I didn't have high hopes for him when I'm like, they brought back the kid actor from the first one? But he actually, he held up, so. It's like he grew chops. It's a word that I've never liked, but you're not wrong. The kid grew chops. There it is. He's got chops. And with the help of his son, David Dunn is out searching, hunting for a very specific criminal, the Horde. Which, again, if you haven't seen Split, not going to get any of this. No, and I don't think anyone's ever going to say, oh, but Glass is a good movie as a standalone movie, because it definitely (laughs) cannot do that. It is a one-legged tripod at that point. Exactly, yes. So, you know, David goes and he beats up a couple guys who are punching people for YouTube views. And then we find out he's known around town as the Overseer, not the Tiptoe Man. He goes out of his way to make sure to say, do not call me the Tiptoe Man, even though as a Bruce Willie, that's hysterical. That is very funny. (laughs) The Tiptoe Man. A name we wouldn't have even known about if you didn't bring it up. That's right. But now that's out there, and now he's going to get called that in public, and I cannot wait to see that reaction. Absolutely. He also runs a home security store with Joseph where we get the most painful, heavy-handed, egregious cameo of all time. And yes, I'm including every Stanley cameo. This M. Night Shyamalan gets snapped. It's not open for discussion. I completely agree, and I've never been happier to watch somebody get dusted. And I hope Ugh. this dust gets dusted farther. It was so painful. Yeah, so it was. Painful. He stands there in the store and like, hey, wait, didn't you used to work at the stadium in that other movie that we were in together? And I have to explain away my cameos just so I can have them. That's right. (laughs) And then he even goes, he's like, oh, yeah, in my youth, I fell in with a bad crowd there. Like, don't care about your backstory. This is nothing. We don't need backstory for the cameo guy. That's not the whole point of any of this. What are you doing, M. Night Shyamalan? I heard what I said. I know what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be the twist. It's going to be, it's Jai's story all along. The entire time. The fourth movie, Jai. Jai. (laughs) But his rise to power. And it's really just him getting back on his feet. It's, that's his A to B story with no twisties. With a rough crowd back in my stadium days. And now I buy security equipment. What a life. And something happened in Split, but I don't remember what it was. I don't either. Is that the same character, though? Yeah. 
Oh, cool. That's why he had to explain the whole the whole arc in this cameo. Oh my god. Move on. Get him out of the movie. <laughs> and M Night's gone. Did it. Perfect. I've never been happier. The Horde slash Kevin slash whatever you want to call him. It's James fucking Maca fucking Voy. Uh, more. More fuckings are necessary because- <laughs> At that I, point, you're going to have to just start doing initials. Yeah, I'm convinced that this movie was just made for him to flex even more. Absolutely. It's like, give me a J fucking. Give me an A fucking. Give that is fucking. more or less what it is because <laughs> this is a performance that is on another level of good. And I'm not saying that to be- facetious or anything like it is that good of a performance it's next level i mean he has like 20 names in the credits if you don't care to see this movie that's why you're here we give you the cliff notes version of it in a way yeah watch it for the mcavoy if nothing else it's that good i agree if for no other reason you gotta see just james mcavoy flex on everyone amazing what he pulls off in this so the Horde is up to his old shenanigans, though it's been considerably less time since his last outing. It's only been three weeks since the events of Split, and he's already rounded up a gang of cheerleaders and is holding them hostage. How do you know they're cheerleaders? Because they're wearing their cheerleaders. <laughs> <uniforms. laughs> That's right! M. Night heavy hands. Subtlety! Get out of the room, we're recording. Get out of here! We're talking class! No, subtlety! Why is subtlety trying to sneak in here? I'll tell you when it's time to come back, and we're recording right now. Come on, don't be rude, subtlety. It's an M. Night movie. Stay out there. <laughs> the Horde is preparing these cheerleaders to be fed to the beast, which, of course, is also James fucking McAvoy. Right. He's tied up one arm with an actual physical chain to a bar and a table, and he's talking about preparing them. But it's also him, so it's weird. It's super weird, but also great. Exactly. He's holding them in an abandoned factory since his zoo setup was recently compromised. Yeah, not great. It's not what you want. No. David Dunn goes for one of his walks, and he rubs up on a not-actually-nine-year-old Hedwig, who's, of course, also Jimmy fucking Max. But here's my issue with this whole thing, is that you say a not-actually-nine-year-old, and I get that Hedwig is the nine-year-old personality, but who he rubs up against might as well have been Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, the way he's dressed and the way he's walking and everything like that, it's one yeah. of those, like, that's odd, even for you, Jimmy Max, like, weird choice of everything there. I feel like when you have to do 20 different characters, 24 different characters, one of them's going to be weird. You just hope it's not, like, the main one. <laughs> and in this case, it's the main one. That's true. At some point, you're going to have to go Malibu's Most Wanted, and I'm sorry they got it away this early, I guess. Really, Jamie Kennedy's entire career would make more sense if he were nine. That's true. And I'm not convinced he's not nine. There you go. So. Maybe he's going method here. Jamie Kennedy as a method actor would be amazing. <laughs> Where was that in Son of the Mask? <laughs> but he can only play one of James McAvoy's personalities. <laughs> it would be so cool if he picked Patricia. <laughs> the most serious of them. <laughs> James McAvoy as Dennis, Hedwig, the Beast, Barry, Heinrich, Jade, Ian, Mary Reynolds, Norma, Jalen, and others. And... Jamie Kennedy as Patricia. It'd <laughs> be perfect. <laughs> so, of course, David Dunn sees the flashback of Hedwig talking to this group of, of young women being held hostage. Or maybe it's another group who look like they're dead in this flashback. I have no idea what's happening here. But basically, David Dunn knows that these girls are being held somewhere with red dust. Yeah, but the way he got there also was 
he had Joseph kind of triangulate where they might be. They're like, oh, this situation took place here. This one took place here. This one took place here. See how it's a triangle? Now, my theory is that they're not in this triangle. They're actually across town in this whole entire warehouse area that I've circled. <laughs> That's nowhere close to this triangle, and that is not how triangulation works. It's not at all. They, they, you should be somewhere where you can access this triangle. Like, yeah, no shit. Like That's across a town! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's over in the warehouse district, and now that David Dunn knows that, he's going to go home and don his crime fighting costume which is of course a green rain poncho right he just leaves it at home i don't even know why he keeps wearing the same poncho at this point because you know he's got a identity to uphold he becomes the overseer Ooh, the authority a guy in a green poncho i mean if you want to give him any credit at all he's david dunn he wears a green raincoat the guy in curious george is just called the man in the yellow raincoat like, he didn't even get a name all these years later. I thought it was just a hat. Maybe that's what it is. It's not important. He's color, article of clothing. That's it. He owns a monkey. Dave Maybe Dunn that's a it. Name. Right. <laughs> he never got a name. And with him, you can either learn how to wash your hands or Hanukkah or whatever. I don't know what he's teaching today. I don't know. But Do this monkey does it all. Do they teach in the Curious George books? I don't even know. Yeah, they try. And it's just a monkey doing things. Didn't he start following the man in the yellow hat just because he looks like a giant banana? Yeah, but now it's a giant teaching banana, I think. Well, maybe. Possibly. No, it definitely is. My kid has oh, okay. Curious George books. It's like, Curious George teaches you to change a carburetor on a 1985 <laughs> Chevy Cavalier. I don't it's know. so specific. I know. They really narrow it down. But then you get I to see it. this little monkey going to town on this carburetor. And he's a literal grease monkey at that point, and it's great. <laughs> I'm 100% in on the entire Curious George series of insanely specific tasks. This right here is a very pro-Curious George podcast <laughs> where you can go to your Barnes & Noble and you get your like crypto for dummies, which it is for dummies. But what you could do instead is get Curious George teaches you not how to burn money. <laughs> the whole book is just him saying, don't. Just don't. Don't. And every other page, it just says HODL. The H-O-D-L is on the left, but then when you like have the little flap that it turns, it says, no. No. Jordan Peele, nope. Oh, that was a recent callback. Yeah. I like it. Try to beat everyone to the callbacks on that one, because it's a single word, just like <laughs> this whole trilogy here. <laughs> very important to this trilogy that it's only one word. It's very important. We'll get there. Will we? We will. Okay. <laughs> Not the way you're thinking, we will. Okay. So the overseer goes to rescue these three most recent missing girls. Three? I don't know where that number came from because it's not written there. I'm pretty sure there's four of them. There are four of them. There's there's the three and then there's the one. And they're all together. So it is four. Okay. Yeah. Well, Curious I was thinking George teaches Brian how to count cheerleaders. <laughs> that is so specific. Why is he learning to just count cheerleaders and not regular things? Because he's curious. I guess so. <laughs> you know what? I wasn't counting the one cheerleader that got a table thrown at her. Yeah, that's not great. That's not what you ever want. But yeah, David Dunn goes in. He rescues these cheerleaders by just prying up the bar that they're chained to. And then they all just kind of hang out without leaving. Right. And that's because they were able to pretty easily break him out because I'm convinced that the beast... He only read Curious George and how to torture three cheerleaders. The That's one Brian it. read. And he needed that fourth to know how to get away with this. It didn't work. 
He's been working his way up. In Split, he only had three hostages. Now he's working on four. That's right. He popped his Jamie Kennedy britches of his <laughs> yellow jumpsuit that he's walking around in. I don't know what his costume is. It's not important. It's yellow. They break him out, but they don't leave. Exactly. They all just kind of huddle there while the beast shows up on the ceiling. And, you know, he and the overseer are going to get into a fight. They will. And it's a strong boy and a strong boy. Yeah, they're pretty evenly matched, and they eventually wind up on the street outside, where they're suddenly stopped by a group of police led by a mysterious woman who recognizes that the Beast is no longer in control of the Horde, and therefore not a threat. And she's also like, hey, Mr. David Dunn, I know your name, so you know you're in trouble. You better give yourself up so we don't hurt any of these cops here. And he's like, okay. I mean, what else is he going to do at this point? Run the opposite direction? That would go into a wall? Yeah, but he's indestructible. That's a good point. And he's not indestructible. He's unbreakable. Oh, right. Right, right. What's the difference again? I'm going to need Curious George to teach me. Indestructible doesn't have a fun jingle like, unbreakable. That's true. The indestructible Kimmy Schmidt would be a very different show. Yeah, it would be. So the two of them are arrested and brought to Ravenhill Memorial Institute, where David is placed in a room with water sprinklers, which will go off if he tries to escape because water is his weakness because M. Night Shyamalan. Correct. And the Horde slash Kevin slash whatever you want to call him is held in a room with bright-ass lights that trigger an involuntary change in which one of his other personalities will hold the light, which is just to say that they will be the personality in control. Right. It's sort of described as like a psycho flashlight or whatever it is, like a psycho spotlight where they blast him with the light and his personality just changes on the spot. Yeah, exactly. And Dave, I have my first actual IMDb trivia fact. Oh, goody. Samuel L. Jackson said of working with James McAvoy on this movie, as good as I like to think I am or what I do and how I do it, watching somebody transform characters in front of your eyes and have an argument with four different people is pretty amazing. Good for pointing out the obvious, Sammy. Thank you so much. Samuel L. Jackson is like, hey, that James McAvoy is a good actor. Nailed it. It's so much more succinct than whatever he said. There you go. That's an actual IMDb trivia fact. Beautiful. Thank you. It's revealed that also in this particular institution is Elijah Price, a.k.a. Mr. Glass, a.k.a. Samuel M. F. Jackson. That's right. Dr. Ellie Staple, played by Sarah fucking Paulson, is a psychiatrist who specializes in a certain type of delusion of grandeur. Assholes who think they're superheroes. It's very specific. I don't know how she makes a living. I don't either. I can't imagine there's that many people. Then again, I mean, she's here with three of them, so... Not wrong, but she makes it sound like she's done this before. She does, doesn't she? She makes it sound like this is a frequent thing she does. Like, you wouldn't believe how many of these clowns think they have superpowers. Good for her. Pays the bills, I guess. She attempts to convince the men that they are normal people who have suffered from emotional and physical trauma, and it's triggered a fence mechanism that makes them believe they possess supernatural powers. So basically, she takes the origin of every superhero, says, no, you definitely went through some shit. But the difference is is that you came out not super or not special. You're just normal and fucked up. Yeah, and you think you're special, which makes you even more fucked up, actually. Exactly. That's good doctoring, if I've ever heard it. Best bedside manner is telling people they're fucked up. That's right. She also appeals to Price's mother, played by Charlene Woodward, Joseph Dunn, and the human embodiment of Stockholm Syndrome, Casey Cook, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. She really is the human embodiment, though. Man, is she leaning in on this. It's just like, hey, remember that guy who kidnapped you three weeks ago? Why don't you go hang out with him? 
Subtlety. No, we're not done yet. I'll tell you when we're done. <laughs> Just stay out of here. I'll tell you when we're done. Sorry. Carry on. Sorry. I have another actual IMDb trivia effect. Oh, joy. Another. How many do you have? Like, I'm terrified right now. Enough. Okay, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, who played Elijah, is five years older than Charlene Woodward, who played Elijah's mother. Okay. That's weird casting. Sometimes you gotta be five years older than your mom. That's right. <laughs> and also, I have what I suspect is a caped IMDb trivia fact. Oh boy. There's four that I submitted, and I don't know what's been approved, what hasn't been approved, <laughs> or what's been removed even at this point, because I don't know when you look this stuff up, and apparently things get removed all the time after they're like, oh no, we fucked up. Sorry. Can't <laughs> believe that, that got through. <laughs> approved facts now. Ask questions later. That's right. Samuel L. Jackson bones good. Samuel L. Jackson bones no bad, only in movie. It's true, all of it. So good. Just so good. <laughs> You're going to tell me that Samuel L. Jackson's bones bad? Or oh, bones Sam- good? Samuel L. Jackson bones good. real no life bad. bones good. Only in movie. Only in movie bones bad. Right. Bones no bad. No, bones good. In movie bones bad. Only in movie. Exactly. Are you proud of that one? I can't believe that one got through. (laughs) That's actually very impressive. That was like the litmus test on this one, too. It's like, I'm just going to type up my knuckles and see what comes out. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, sure, send it. And then a day later, like, maybe we should look at these. There's only 70 on here. (laughs) What's another one? (laughs) Oh, this movie really needs facts. Approve everything. Exactly. Just fire away. Dr. Staple has three days to convince the men of their delusions or they'll be brought to trial for their crimes, which is weird because it certainly seems like Mr. Glass has already been institutionalized for the last 19 years, and now it's like, you have three days. But also, how do they get a trial for their crimes that quickly, and what are their crimes? Are, like, the Miranda rights not a thing in Philadelphia? That's the twist. They all get off on on (laughs) not having their Miranda rights read to them. On technicalities. I like the idea of holding... Mr. Glass for 19 years, and then like three days after arresting James McAvoy. We're going to trial. We got everything we need now. Unbelievable. During a session with all three men, Dr. Staple recalls Kevin's past abuse from his mother, which spurred the transformation of the horde, as well as the time that David was nearly drowned in a swimming pool, just bringing up everybody's shit in a three-person meeting. It's a weird three-person meeting, too, because... You have the unbreakable man who's the only one who's chained up, and he's also possibly the most reasonable one here. Yeah. Like, he's not going to try to hurt people. Then you have Kevin, the James McAvoy man, and he's sitting there just flipping personalities like crazy. They got the big flashlight behind. Gotta have the hypnotic. The doctor, just in case. And then Elias is just sitting there drooling. Yeah, he's pretty sedated. He is. Or is he? We'll get there. It's another mini twist. It's a tiny twist. Tiny (laughs) twist adventures. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? (laughs) And the answer is always no with an M. Night Shyamalan movie. No, no. Never there. Never going to get there. Oh, she also brings up Price's childhood running with a carnival ride that done fucked him up real good. The kid got on a carnival ride and he's having the time of his life and the mom runs over to the carnival ride. She's like, no, that's my kid. He's going to break if you put him on that thing. And then sure (laughs) enough, the kid breaks all over. He sure does. 
This mom's got to keep an eye on the broken kid. Outside the carnival ride, you can't let him through those gates. And this carnival looked packed. There's going to be a line of kids out there. It's not like he just got on a first ride. (laughs) If you've got a kid that's that breakable, you know, keep an eye on him. Keep a leash on him, like, but a a light one. Right. He'll break, obviously. If he tries to run out of the bounds of that leash, that kid's going to get hurt. (laughs) It's not going to be good. So Dr. Staple tries to convince David that he's got some sort of forensic analysis Rain Man abilities, and that he's also got a brain injury from the train crash, and also some stuff about Kevin watching YouTube videos about mountain climbers, and that's why they can do super stuff. Now, here's the thing that I actually do want to bring up, is that this movie had me here. A little bit. I was like, oh, maybe maybe the last two movies have been bullshit. Because it put it in a realm of plausibility at the very least. Yes. And it was enough to make me go, Maybe. Like, I think it's bullshit, but maybe. Like, I'll hear you out. This is interesting. Could the twist be that she is not a bullshitter? Subtlety, come back. Come in here. (laughs) Just for briefly. Just come on in. Subtlety's refusing to come in. I think we might be on the wrong track here. I think you're right. You know, it's not subtle. Still, we're just, he said we got duped. Mm, Yeah, we were trying to force subtlety into it. Subtlety, next week we'll talk. Maybe. It's an Ebert. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. There's no way to know. There's no way of knowing. He'll stay out there for now. Later that night, Elijah Price breaks free from his cell and he meets with Patricia slash Kevin slash James McAvoy. I thought you were going to do all the names. I was going to strangle you. (laughs) No, 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 no. But I do have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Okay, another. Here we go. The title character, Mr. Glass, does not speak until about an hour into the movie. Makes sense because we don't see him for about 30 minutes of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, and then for 30 minutes, he's... He's just drooling on himself. That's right. What a titular character. Absolutely crushing it. Samuel L. Jackson was like, yeah, no, I'll take that role for sure. You want me to reprise it, but not say anything for an hour? I'm in. Done. Sold. And with that IMDb trivia fact, I also have what I suspect is a caped IMDb trivia fact. Why do you suspect that? I'm asking because, man, I'm just so curious. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them them just kind of grab you and say, hey. This is submitted recently because if it weren't, somebody would have been like, wait a minute. I wish people would mark these helpful. Bury it just a little bit to fool Brian. Just a little bit. The original title of this film was Back That Glass Up, but the title was shortened to Glass to keep the one-word trilogy ideal alive. Yeah, tell me I'm wrong. I don't think you are, and that's why I said we'll get there with the one-word thing. That's a butt joke. Sure is. Back that glass up. That's right. Use a fine M. Night Shyamalan. No one's ever said that. No, they did. Back (laughs) in the day with the Sixth Sense, but yeah, not so much since. Ever since The Village came out, people have been like wary. As they should be, though. Yeah. Because you're pretty much just watching a movie for the twist at a certain point. And that's boring. There must be so much pressure on him now to just like, anytime he writes a movie, he's like, oh, I got to put a fucking twist in here or people aren't going to go see it. I don't think that's the case at all. I think he I think gets it's to like self-imposed. I think he gets to like the middle of the third act, and then he just unzips his pants and starts <laughs> raw jerking it because he goes, "Look what I'm about to do now!" Here's the <laughs> They'll twist. Never see it coming, even though they know it's coming. This is the only way I can get off is knowing that I'm twisting the story on my audience, both of them. I've written two whole acts, and now I have to consider what's the least likely thing to be happen next because that's how I have to end the movie. Oh, God, he's a fucking asshole, isn't he? (laughs) If you didn't know that before, 
you should after this cameo in this one. It's sad because when you just said that, the first thing went through my head was, weirdly, David Cassidy's last words before he died, and it was so much wasted time. And it's like, that is heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. But I feel like M. Night Shyamalan's last words are not going to be his own last words because there's going to be a twist. And it's going to be someone barging in, and it's going to be like Bruce Willie or something like that. He's going to say, so much wasted talent. (laughs) Because he is legit talented. He is. But he just says, fuck all, and does whatever he wants and just throws it out the window. Because if you look at the way these movies are constructed, there is care put into them. Oh, absolutely. His cinematography and his choices are beautiful. His stories are pretty good. They're sound, at the very least. But then he does all the rest of whatever M. Night Shyamalan does. And you're just like, all right, raw jerk yourself. We get it. Fine. <laughs> it's like, all right, I've got something really good going here. Now I have to add the M. Night Shyamalan signature touch and ruin it. Unbelievable, man. So much wasted talent in my mind. Yeah. You need somebody to reel him in. It's not worth their time to try to reel him in. That's fair. So Price clearly has not been taking his medication and has been faking his sedation. And I did not intend for that to rhyme, but that was fun. It sounded fun. I'm glad I was here for it. He encourages James McAvoy to meet with him the next night and let him meet the Beast. And together, they're going to break out. So the next day arrives, and after seeing him moving about the hospital on a few of the hundreds of newly installed security cameras, Dr. Stable's like, nope, Mr. Glass, you're coming with me. You're getting lobotomized. Her direct quote was, you've been duping us. Now we're going to do the brain surgery now. You dupester. We're going to take care of you and your smarts. (laughs) Can't be rolling around the hallway doing wheelies. We got to fry your brain. That's right. So now he's definitely brain dead and sedated, right? Wrong. It's a mini twist. It turns out the night before he stole the thing from the thing that made the brain not all fucky. He did all of that. He was... And no one noticed. So we've already got too many twists just with the character here. He's like, oh, I'm not actually sedated. I've been taking aspirin instead and hiding the real pills in my wheelchair arm. Whoa. And then, oh, I'm not lobotomized. I secretly snuck out and did the switcheroo, and here we are. So M. Knight is getting so cocky in life that he's actually like doing calisthenic twists just to warm up to whatever the big thing is going to be at the end, just so he doesn't pull his twist muscle. Yeah, he's doing some somersaults to, to get you ready for the, the front flip. I'm ready. I'm ready to get there. I've never been more ready for anything. <laughs> so what's Mr. Glass do next? He kills his caretaker by slashing his throat with a shard of broken hot tub time machine. And this caretaker is a man named Daryl. And let me explain to you why Daryl needs to die. Because there's a scene earlier where we see the shift change, where there's a man named Pierce and a man named Daryl. Yes. They're the only two people guarding these three possible superhero people. <laughs> and they, they <laughs> alternate shifts. And they don't even do it in a way where they like even just like high-five each other out or pass a literal baton to each other. The only time they pass each other is outside, which yeah. means there is time where they're not even doing that bare minimum job they're supposed to be doing. And Daryl. I want to talk about him for just a hot second before he kicks that eternal bucket. Let's talk about Daryl. And why he needs to die. Because we all know this person. <laughs> because Daryl walks up to the security guard. He's like, oh, what's up, my man? And he's giving high fives. He's like, hey, you still taking that multivitamin? And it's unprompted. And then he goes on <laughs> to talk about what this man should be taking without this man asking at all yeah. what he yeah. should be doing to live his best life. And guess what? 
Security guard never took a multivitamin, probably. Never had grapeseed oil, probably. Also, lived longer than this fuckhead Daryl. <laughs> Take and that, Daryl. you know that Daryl films his own workouts puts him on Facebook. You know it! For sure, Daryl is definitely that guy. And this security guard is probably like, man, I'm still alive. And he spells CrossFit the way that it's, like, TM'd. Oh. Just to show up. That's obnoxious. <laughs> That is Daryl. You're absolutely right. Oh, my God. I fucking hate this guy. When he died, I went, yes. <laughs> Good job. Nice. Slitting Good twist. Yes. <laughs> oh, I think the twist is that Glass is the hero of this story. I like it. <laughs> and also, maybe we'll get there. We'll get there. Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Dave, I have what I suspect is another piece of caped IMDb trivia. Oh, this one's out of nowhere. All right. It's not, though, because we just slit a man's throat with some glass. We sure did. And this film represents many ways you can use glass. Oh, my God. You can barbecue it, <laughs> boil it, bake it, saute it. There's uh, glass kebabs, glass creole, glass gumbo, pan-fried, deep-fried, stir-fried. There's pineapple glass, lemon glass, coconut glass, pepper glass, glass soup, glass stew, glass salad, glass and potatoes, glass burger, glass sandwich. That's that's about it. Yep. Um, that's my pride and joy right there. It's so good. This is what happens when I come up with an idea at 2 a.m. and have to type it now. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Reading that brought me so much joy. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear it. Not as much as a, a specific other fact that is out there in the ether that will we'll come around eventually. What is it? Uh, I know you still we, get there, but... We, we did one in a Patreon episode that is still my favorite of all time. Oh, geez, and Blues Brothers. Yep, that's right. <laughs> so if you're not on Patreon... You don't know about the best IMDb trivia fact of all time. Yeah, I could have legit just like said, no, I'm done with life. And I'm pretty sure St. Peter would have came down and said, you did good. <laughs> that was a good, you did it. You did good. We're all proud of you up here. Come on in. You can hear that as well as the rest of our Blues Brothers episode when it drops for free on the main channel only on February 26th. So you better subscribe. You better be subscribed because it's going to be up and then it's going to be down and you miss it, you miss it. You're going to have to join Patreon to hear it. Which you should do anyway. Be cool. Be like our favorites. Right. And especially for next month, because it's a charity month. We'll get exactly. there. Exactly. We'll get there. So it turns out Mr. Glass had intentionally been caught on camera and had already sabotaged the lobotomizer machine. And with that, Mr. Glass escapes to the horde cell and deactivates the hypno lights. And it's on. It really is, though. Like, I'm getting jacked up for what's about to happen. Yeah, this movie goes from a bunch of people sitting around talking to all of a sudden things are going to happen. Yeah, we're only hour 30 in. <laughs> yeah, we're 90 good. minutes into the movie. We should people. We should probably stop just doing exposition every scene and have things happen. Subtlety, where are you going? Why are you going farther away? Oh, you know what's coming up? That's probably the right move. Okay. He's, gonna, he's going farther away. Subtlety is very self-aware. He absolutely knows what's coming here. So Mr. Glass and the Horde make their way to a secret room where the beast is unleashed, and he deems Price broken, and therefore an ally? Yeah, that makes sense to me. He's like, I didn't kill the girl because she was broken. You're also very broken. You've broken 94 bones, and that means I won't kill you. I guess if you have to have some moral code, sure, right? I, sure. I guess. You've suffered, and therefore I won't make you suffer. Okay, good. Price explains his plan to have the Beast and Overseer battle each other at the top of the newly erected high skyscraper in Philly. Because the media coverage for the opening of that building is going to be insane. And once the whole world discovers that superheroes exist, you know, 
they'll know that superheroes exist. And I love how they keep referring to this building as the highest building in Philadelphia. Yes. over and over again. That brand new highest building in Philadelphia. Unbelievable. It's like they named it once and then just didn't even bother doing it again. The Osaka building, I think it is. That's what it was. But then they just repeatedly said, the highest building in Philadelphia. You know, that new Big Big. (laughs) That's it. Exactly. The Beast agrees to help Mr. Glass make his way through the facility. He's like, we're going to do this thing. I like your plan of letting the world know that I'm real for reasons. Yeah, the guy who's hidden now wants to be a real boy. (laughs) No strings on him. That's right. Mr. Glass uses the intercom system to tell David in his cell that he deactivated the water sprinklers, and now he's got to get out of that bad Larry. And David's like, what if I'm just some guy, though? And Mr. Glass is like, well, if you're just some guy, then me and the bees are going to go blow up the Nakatomi building or whatever it's called. And Bruce Willis hates when you blow, try to blow up the Nakatomi building. <laughs> it's true. It's like, like his only thing, really. It really is. So he starts punching the metal door, and he, he dents it a little bit. He's like, oh, wait, I am a superhero. So then he just blows that bitch right off the wall. And then he stares at the camera because there's always a camera somewhere. If you do something that badass, you got to look at the camera like, yeah, you know what time it is. I did a thing, and now I need to stand still for a certain amount of time before I'm allowed to do the next thing. It's like this movie has to load. Hey, did you do your triumphant pose? Because we can't get to the next scene unless you do your triumphant pose. Not allowed to do it. You've reached a save point, and now you need to go on to the next thing. (laughs) Don't turn around and look at that explosion. Not allowed. It's true. So then he takes his sweet time finding and putting on his raincoat before running out of the mental institution. (laughs) All of that is nuts to hear. (laughs) Some of the things that happen in this movie, I'm like, really? Most of the things that happen in this movie, I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) The Beast wheels Mr. Glass through the facility basement, killing a bunch of orderlies and security guards along the way, and eventually they make it to the outside. That's it. I made it to the outside. All this trouble to get outside. We did it. We're outside. And then Price's mother and Joseph and Casey, they're all there too. Because. Well, the best part about this, and subtlety is running even farther away. <laughs> is that possible? You might need to actually like call subtlety on the phone now. I might have to, to talk to subtlety because the direct quote here from Samuel L. Jackson is, Ah, a gathering of main characters. It's been a while since we had a heavy-handed moment like that, but oh boy. Yeah, it's almost as bad as when he said, it, it looks like the bad guys are teaming up. Yep, and this movie now is just going to lean into not even comic book lore, but barely comic book writing at the same time. <laughs> it takes, this is like a weird twist here. How do we stop being a movie and just become a series of comic book tropes? But we didn't even get there. Like, he made up just the most bare-bones tropes ever, and he said, (laughs) this is what's happening now. Oh, yes, the gathering of the main characters. (laughs) Right! (laughs) That's what they call it. Uh Uh-huh, everyone knows that that's uh, Superman and the Jimmy Olsen and uh, all the other main ones together. Yeah. And they all pointed out. Whenever oh, they're look, in the room with each other. Oh, every, everybody the gang's has all here. All come together. Main characters. <laughs> oh, good. No supporting cast, as I intended. Good. Now we must say the plot. Now that it's only us main characters. Of course. So Mrs. Price, Joseph, and Casey gather just in time to watch the showdown between the Beast and the Overseer. While, of course, Mr. Glass watches on 
barely by the sidelines, just so excited, having a blast. He's like, look at these guys. They're, they're doing the thing that I wanted to do. And I love how he openly calls it out. Or is this his mother who calls it out? I'm not sure. His mother knows a lot about comic books. One of the Price folk is just like, oh, this is what you call in comic books the final showdown. (laughs) 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 And admittedly, I got pretty jazzed because something was about to happen. Right. That's a lot more than this movie usually offers, where they're saying, no, shit's about to go down. So the Overseer and the Beast start fighting. And the police arrive trying to separate them, but they're the police. They can't do anything these superheroes. No, they can't. And the Beast just goes buck wild on all the cops, throwing them down with the shields and whatnot. And David Dunn just sort of treats them like a tackling dummy in football and just pushes it back like the (laughs) wall. Like a long way, though. Like, I I can't stress to you enough how far far he pushed these cops back. It's farther away than subtlety is right now. Yeah, subtlety is... I don't know where he is. <laughs> I can't even tell you how far away. 10K maybe? Roughly? Wow. Like if okay. he came back for charity? <laughs> it would be charity right now if Subtlety came back. It would, be. it would be. I miss him so much it's lonely here. Maybe next week. We'll see. Why, who knows? It's an Ebert. I, again, we don't know. Who knows? But either way, David Dunn's going to push them into some sort of shipping container that's just sitting there. Every mental institute I've ever been by always has an empty shipping container outside, just waiting. That's actually true, now that I think about it. Yeah. It's for storage. Not! <laughs> oh, you got me. You got me with the nut. Then he takes, like, the bar, and you see him bending the bar, and I was like, wow, strong. And it's also on tape, recorded, because we see things from the security camera vantage. Move on, Brian. I'm moving on. You're doing you were, great. You were in a rush to get to the end of this. There's nothing that happens. <laughs> If stuff happened, I'd be like, yeah, let's take our time and dissect this. This is what happens. This is the movie, this final showdown. Yeah. Mr. Glass tells the Beast about Overseer's weakness of of water, even though he was in the room when what's-her-name was talking about the water. Anyway, Mr. Glass is like, put him in the water tank that's over there, because another thing that you have to have at your psychiatric (laughs) facility is a giant water tank. And that's when Joseph, who's been conducting some of his own comic book research, intervenes and explains to the Beast that Kevin's father was on East Rail 177 when Mr. Glass had it destroyed all those years ago, thus being responsible for Kevin's father's death and his being left in his abusive mother's care and ultimately creating the Horde and the Beast. Now, I want to quickly talk about Kevin's father. Not important who plays him, he's got a beard. He has a beard. But this guy wasn't going to win Father of the Year, no matter what. And I say that because he gets on this train going wherever this train is going. It doesn't get there, obviously, it crashes. We all saw Unbreakable. Right. But he sits on this train, and he waves out the window, bye-bye to his wife and son, and he just opens a pamphlet for DID. It's like, oh, thank God, I finally have time to read this small pamphlet in order to understand my son's illness. (laughs) What's crazy is I was under the impression that the son didn't get the illness until after his dad died. So I'm so confused about what's happening. And that checks out, too, because I kind of got that feeling as well. But this reminded me of, like, Airplane with the pamphlet of famous Jewish sports stars. Like, (laughs) it's not exactly heavy reading, and you could have done this anytime at home. One shit. That's all you need is one shit, and you're reading that pamphlet. (laughs) It was a one-shitter. That's how we refer to pamphlets in the biz. So basically what you're telling me is that whenever you go to a doctor's office with, and you 
have like Lyme disease or whatever. <laughs> and the doctor hands you the pamphlet and he says, why don't you go take that into the other room? This is kind of like a one shitter, I guess. You got it from a tick. There, I spoiled half of it for you. <laughs> now it's just a half shitter. <laughs> you don't even have to flip it over. Now you know how you got it. Right. It's a twofold. It's not a threefold. Oh, no. That's, that's a two shitter easily. Oh, without a doubt it is. When you start getting into weird folding patterns, then you're, you're looking at upwards of a three or four shitter. And that's insanity to me. And that's why I feel like Taco Bell needs to get into the pamphlet business. Oh, absolutely. Ski resorts are, are known for four shitters. Oh, without a doubt. You got to put the whole map on there and all sorts of information about their, their bullshit. But with a ski resort, the difference is, is that whenever you have the map and you have a lot of reading, typically they shorten it up even more and they call it a double brown diamond. <laughs> so you have to like really read it quickly because there's a line outside in the front waiting for you. That's really how they determine it. You don't want to be rude. Yeah, they're like, hey, do you want to take this in with you? And you're like, bro, sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, hold on. Suddenly came back. <laughs> Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, Fuck you. He, he's running away now. Wow. Subtlety came back just to, just to yell at me. That's right. <laughs> and then he was like, I got to get out of here before they start talking about glass again. Oh, I forgot we got to finish the movie. Yeah, carry on. Sorry. I got so excited about pamphlets and brochures and one shitters and two shitters exactly how can you not blame me for getting excited about that mr glass is pretty excited about things because he's created now a superhero and a supervillain the supervillain took a little bit longer to make but he's done it and he's like i'm a mastermind and the beast is like thanks for creating me but you know i can't trust you now right like my whole thing is protecting kevin at all costs and you caused him pain so now i'm gonna gently grab your shoulder and break a collarbone and that's what he does and you hear it I didn't like it. Yeah, and that's when Overseer, David Dunn, he's like, hey, Beast Man, your fight is with me. And Mr. Glass is like, ha, uh, the enemies become allies or, or something like that. Or something, something like that. Equally ham-fisted. It was like a Dick Tracy, the enemy, my enemy is my enemy. But it was Samuel Jackson saying M. Night Shyamalan's words. So yeah, so just throw him in a blender as, and as good who as gives Dick a Tracy. damn? Right. So then the Beast punches Mr. Glass in the chest, breaking his ribs, which pierce his lungs mortally wound him and he's just like he's gonna go lie on the ground for a while while the beast <laughs> flings overseer into the water tank we finally got to the water tank we did it about damn time and he fights him in there until overseer manages to break through the wall and the two splash out onto the institution's lawn and the water from the tank fills a pothole that we'll get to in a second and the beast says to the overseer that they'll finish their battle at the top of the nakatomi building and he begins to run off because he's like, I'm not going to fight you here because the thing the guy I just tried to kill said a while ago. Yep. All the reasons. Dr. Staple is like, hey, Casey, you should go talk to the Beast because I think he likes you or something. I don't know what's happening. I'm going to go put you, young child, into mortal danger. Yeah, right? You almost died three weeks ago. Nobody expects you to be here. Because I'm a bad doctor. That's worst. why. So Casey catches up to the Beast. And first of all, I have questions about how she did that. But then <laughs> he reverts back to the innocent, traumatized Kevin because she says his name because that, that's his weakness. You just, you just say Kevin Wendell Crumb, and he turns back not into the beast. feels like that's information that can be used by anybody, but... Yeah, and so they use these crazy lights on him, make it look like a fucking Queen concert. Hey, Kevin. And he's like, oh, shit, I'm Kevin again. It's not hard to do. 
Right. But once his defenses are down, the snipers shoot him because he's not bulletproof anymore, because apparently the beast is bulletproof. Who knew? Apparently the snipers knew, because they waited. <laughs> we didn't know this. As the audience, he got shot, and he just dropped. It's like, oh, his defenses are down. It's like, what defenses did he have? <laughs> he's just, you know, the beast. Beasts don't get shot. Unbelievable. That's what the movie should have been called. That's <laughs> actually, it's still a one-word <laughs> name that works. More police show up, and Joseph asks them to help his father. He's very weak because of the water. I don't know how this man showers. No idea. One of the security guys grabs David and drags him over to a pothole and just starts drowning him in like an inch of water. And Joseph has apparently just fucked off. He's like, oh, okay, I told you to help my dad. I'm going to leave forever because I don't, I, I'm assuming you're just going to help him. Yeah, I'm late for, I don't know what I could be late for. Right? My dad's dying over here. Can you help him? I'm going to go somewhere else, though. I have a date with subtlety. <laughs> Dr. Staple comes over and orders the guard to wait. She says, take my hand, David. And whoa, Black Betty Shamalan, we've got a twist coming. Yes, we do. David Dunn sees a flashback of Dr. Staple as a member of a secret society that openly tattoos four-leaf clovers on its members' wrists, thus maintaining complete secrecy. And what is it that the Shamrock Shake fan club is up to, you ask? Well, monitoring the actions of superhuman beings, of course, and then putting a stop to their shenanigans. Be they heroes or villains, their motto is, fuck them. That's right. All of that actually happens. And I like how you said they secretly do this, because these tattoos aren't even under like the cuffs of their sleeves. No, like, they're, not even they're close. very visible. There's no secrecy in this organization at all. They all meet None at in, all. in restaurants and just wait for the one person in the restaurant who's not part of their club to leave. And they go, all right, now we can talk about Spider-Man. I got the glasses. And now that the curtain is closed, let's openly talk about our shenanigans. <laughs> Dave, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Yeah, get it over with. Dr. Stable's role is hinted at by her name. She gathers comic book heroes and villains together and tries to be a master manipulator of their paths. The pages of a comic book issue are held together with staples, which keep the narrative in the right sequence. That sounds like it should be caped. It sounds so much like it should be. I don't think it is. But if it is, please email us and tell us that you're responsible for that because God bless you. If you're responsible for that, you're a genius. <laughs> and if you're not, God damn it. Man, I'm I really, losing hope in humanity. I really <laughs> hope one of you did that intentionally. And it's just not the epitome of awfulness on IMDb. Right? <laughs> now to go tit for tat, I also have what I suspect is a caped IMDb trivia fact. Hit me! Liam Neeson's from The Dark Men nearly appeared in this film opposite Bruce Willie. Yep, it's all true, except it's not. But it should be. Should be. Liam Neeson's would have been pretty good in this. Because Liam Neeson's is my shit. My shit! Liam Neeson's and Bruce Willis in one movie? The Dark Man with the changing faces! So good. It is so good. I love Key and Peele. Never miss an opportunity to shout out Key and Peele. Never have, never will. Dr. Stable tells David that if she had successfully convinced him that he was just a regular old human, she would have let him live, but Mr. Glass and the Beast's machinations put a stop to that. And then the guard goes back to drowning David in a pothole. It's like Final Destination, but somehow worse. Right? It's like, oh, man, this guy is really, he doesn't like water, so let's just put his face in an inch of it and watch him die. Easy enough, I guess. Where'd his son go? Doesn't matter. Not important. He'll be back shortly, but he's not here now. <laughs> just in time to see that his dad isn't here anymore. 
Kevin dies in Casey's arms, finally finding the light and peace and the safety of his friend's arms. Friend is a word I use lightly here because, you know, he kidnapped her, tortured her for, for a whole movie. <laughs> Friend. Elijah lays dying in the parking lot, broken, just, you know, he had 94 breaks before. And now who knows how many because he got punched by the beast. Countless. Staple arrives and tells him that she and the other members of the Lucky Charms crew have suppressed the super... <laughs> I was not ready to call that. <laughs> They've been suppressing superhuman individuals for 10,000 years in order to retain a safe society without gods among men. But then she kind of just leaves. She's like, all right, now that I said my piece, I'm out of here. And that's when Mrs. Price is like, you love these superhero comics. Don't you know there's always a showdown at the end of the limited edition? How did you not see this coming? And that's when he says, oh, mama, this isn't a special edition. This was an origin story all along. Which is kind of cool. It is a pretty cool thing to say right before you die. Really mysterious. Oh, this was an origin story. It's dead. Leave it open-ended. Why not? Honestly? Stop the movie right there. You've done it. But they won't. There's a lot more movie. There's still quite a bit left. Her mission being a success, Dr. Staple deletes all the footage from the security cameras and heads to a comic book store. Because that's what you do. And while she's there, she overhears some neckbeard gushing over how a mastermind always has a plan in motion that you don't even know about. I've been into a many a comic book store, and this conversation would never, ever happen. No, it feels so inorganic. You're there with your buddy. You obviously know you both like this. Right. This is the most basic conversation ever. Oh, man, a mastermind always has a trick up his sleeve. Unbelievable. And M. Night Shyamalan, I'm not convinced has ever read a comic book. I think he appreciates the genre. Yeah. But he's just not willing to honestly do any of the research. He has a good understanding of a lot of the things that go into the genre and and how it works. This could be a movie that's taught in like a comic book theory class to a certain point. Yeah, I'll give you that, but I think appreciation and love are different. And yes. I feel like he tried to lean real hard into love when only he really appreciates. I'm not calling him a tourist. Right, right. But I feel like he forced a trilogy upon us that did not need to be here. It was like he had that deal with Disney that if there was ever a trilogy to split, you know, we'll talk about it. And then he felt like, oh, I got to make a sequel now to yeah, Split yeah. and Unbreakable, when really just the end of Split was supposed to be a twist. And it was a neat little twist. It was. And then we got here. Yeah, we did. Because. Whoa, Black Betty Shyamalan, we've got another twist. I can't believe it either. Dr. Ellie Staple goes back to the Mental Institute and discovers that Price had hacked the computers and live-streamed all the events to a private network. It was never his plan to escape the facility and force the Beast and the Overseer to fight Nakatomi. She'd already supplied him with all the cameras he needed right there at the facility, and his plan was a success. Dr. Staple leaves the security room, screams in anger, realizing that she's failed, and at that exact moment, Price's mother, Joseph, and Casey all receive copies of the footage, and they upload it to the internet, revealing it to the public, and it goes instantly viral, which is maybe the hardest part of this movie to believe. Yep. And the three of them just sit together at a train station while videos of, of the fight just spread over the news and everybody's phones. People are like, oh, superheroes are real. And that, that's the big twist. That he was successful in letting people know, hey, they're out there. That's the whole entire point of any of this and that, thankfully. 
is Glass from 2019, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it did a lot of like, hey, sit in this room. We're going to talk at you for a while. We're going to give you one fight scene and then, uh, you know, go about your day. That's all this movie is, though. It's a giant amount of exposition. It does sort of try to trick you. It sets it up. Yes. The dominoes are stacked. But then, like, they knock it over, but it's like some douchebag, like, hit it too far to the right, and, like, the first one fell, and the rest just missed somehow. They yeah. never got where they set it up. I almost feel like this movie would have worked better the opposite way, where they think that Dr. Ellie Staple is some sort of crazy manipulator, and it turns out at the end that they're all just the three people in an insane asylum, and they've been duped this whole time into thinking they're superheroes. I think I like that more. I wish that they leaned in harder to the, no, you're normal. This is your childhood trauma. Let's address that. Let's exactly. play with that. Yeah. But they address it, but then they just move on so quickly from there. So it's a strange spot to hit the gas when you actually finally have a hook for this audience. Yeah, I totally agree. This is a weird movie. It's very weird. I still don't know if I dislike it or not. I think I like it. I think I don't like a lot of it, though. But yeah. overall... I'm pretty happy that I saw it, finally. I understand it. I appreciate it. It really does a lot to develop the lore of this unbreakable verse. And should M. Night Shyamalan, even though he said he has no interest in doing it, make more movies in this universe, he has set up a solid origin story and a universe. He absolutely has, but do you think there's going to be another? I don't know how you do it at this point, unless it's just a completely different story, and then like, oh, twist at the end, here's Dr. Ellie Staple. Yeah, that's pretty fair, I'd have to say. But do you think anyone's asking for another one? I don't think so. I think I agree. And I say that because Rotten Tomatoes, 1 100. What are you thinking? Oh, boy. Uh, 68. 36. Wow. That's really low. Audience score is 67, though. So oh, okay. bravo to you for getting awfully damn close. Roger Ebert didn't see this. He was not unbreakable. But <laughs> Anthony Lane from The New Yorker did see this, and he said... You have to admire Shyamalan's efforts to deconstruct a genre that he evidently loves, yet there is just so little to haunt or to fool us in the result, and a few sharp laughs might have helped his cause. That's true. This movie's very dry. It is the driest of dry. Joe Morgenstern from Wall Street Journal said, The concept is intriguing, but the emotional payoff is negligible, the surprise ending is feeble, and the whole enterprise resembles a recycling bin. <laughs> Got him. And he's not wrong. No, that's, honestly, it's accurate. That's unfortunate, but it's accurate. Brian Lowry, CNN.com. He says, for those intrigued but not anticipating too much, it's the sort of flawed but reasonably entertaining effort that can be viewed as glass half full. <laughs> what did he say? Reasonably entertaining? Yeah, reasonably entertaining effort. Not even that the movie's reasonably entertaining, but it was a reasonably entertaining effort, I guess. That's a damning sentence and also completely accurate. And that was a freshie, too. <laughs> yeah, the first two like were, it for sure. were rottens. That's a freshie. And this one's also a freshie. And it's Matthew Rosa from Salon.com. He says, it is a successful movie on its own terms. That's not true. Mm. <laughs> and an ideal closing chapter to M. Night Shyamalan's East Rail 177 trilogy. Well, there you go. They, I guess, have uh, an official name, according to Matthew Rosa of Salon.com. It's the East Rail 177 trilogy. It just rolls right off your tongue. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, and it's easy to remember because it's got a number in it and all of that. Yeah. Our good friends on Letterboxd. They had quite a bit to say about this. <laughs> I bet they did. 
from May 28th, 2019, with a conceit as strong as Bruce Willis's superpower and a plot as brittle as Jackson's bones, I'm as split on this as McAvoy's mind. So much to enjoy, especially McAvoy embracing his character even more, and so much to be annoyed by. Shyamalan's incessant, twisty, turny fetish. <laughs> it is a fetish at a point. Absolutely. And that was actually a very well-written letterbox review. I agree. From May 27th, 2019, burned slow and was exactly what I wanted as far as a conclusion. The angles, the camera work, the security footage, the emotions, the trauma, the empathy, and the continuous grounded take on an overclimactic genre gave me plenty to think about. I can't wait to revisit this again and decode a little more. Worked for me. Definitely my kind of thing. The love I have for M. Night and how much he puts into his work, even if I don't love everything he's made, is pretty unbreakable. Those are some really nice words. It was, and yeah, it's not for a lot of people, but it is for some people. Absolutely. You like what you like. Everything they said was valid, too, so. I agree. From May 28th, 2021, knew this would work better for me on rewatch. Absolutely devastating. Absolutely devastating? I can see where they get that but it also kind of makes me want to rewatch it. Now I'm curious. Because this movie does end on a big old downer. It does, but he, there is that narration that Mr. Glass does over the footage of the fight that it's like all about hope and leaning on others and having permission to be superheroes and self-belief and all that. So, I mean, it's it's got a sunny disposition attached to it, kind of. Despite our three leads dying? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Super sunny. <laughs> All of their sidekicks are wearing their colors. So, you That's know. That's a good point. Things are, things are great. They're all smiling because people know about superheroes. Oh, hooray. <laughs> <laughs> Not that, you know, their families and captors are dead in one person's case. Exactly. <laughs> the last one I have is from February 20th, 2020. Pre-quarantine, this film was one of the worst things to happen to me. <laughs> Wow. And on that note, let's give this thing a super stuff score. Let's do it. Story and motivation. It's hard to say because it's a twisty movie. It is twisty. The story, though, I think you have with Dr. Ellie Staple collecting these people and trying to convince them that they are not super. Which I like quite a bit. Yeah. And then the triumph of, of course, the superness in the end. I'm going to go with a point five because I like what's set up. I don't think it gets fully where it wants to go. Yeah. And I don't think it delivers the ending like it thinks it does. Yeah. And I think only two of your leads have solid motivation. Like, I think Bruce Willis's motivation is there. And Mr. Glass, Elijah Price, definitely has motivation. I just don't think you get anything from the Horde. So let me ask you this then. This movie's called Glass. That's true. This is his movie. And it is. Overall, he is the hero at the end of this, and he does succeed in his mission. How's that for a twist? One. I think it's a one. Son of a bitch. Holy shit, M. Night Shyamalan. Did a, he pulled a twist on us in the Super Stuff score. It. What an asshole. Subtlety, uh -huh. come back. Come back, subtlety. <laughs> hero. Oh, shit. God damn it. Oh, no. Um, for all the reasons we just said, one, I guess. For the first hour of the movie, he doesn't talk. No, but it works. It does work. And then he shows up, and he shows up hard. Yeah, he does. And he successfully completes his mission, even though he sacrifices himself for his mission, too. Oh, my God. God damn it. That's a one. 
Oh my God! What that's is a, happening? That's a one. Villains. It's the doctor lady. Yeah, it's Ellie Staple and the whole Shamrock Society or whatever they're called. And she fails miserably despite thinking she got her win. Yeah. And it turns out like it is the most epic fail in 10,000 years. She's like, I did it. I did everything I set out to do. And then M. Night Shyamalan was like, actually, I was in a rough crowd growing up. And a twist. She had three days to get these characters right. She failed. She failed. I'm going to go 0.25 because she's just there. And I don't actually know what she's trying to do most of the time. Like, she pops up when it's convenient for her to pop up. Yeah, I agree. 0.25. Parents. He's got a living mom. We know Glass. he's got a living mom. We also do see the active death of uh, one of James McAvoy's parents. But he's movie. not the lead. He's, he's not, not the, the hero. Lead. He's one of the leads. There's three leads. He is one movie. of the leads, but he's not the hero. But he's, he's not, not the hero. titular hero. We just don't know. 0.25 for not knowing. 0.25 for not knowing. And like a, like a dirty bump for an on-screen parent death of a lead. Right, we think, but we don't know. Right. If they're dead or alive. I mean, they could be 10 years younger than him, so. It's true. It's actually just Michael <laughs> B. Jordan with no makeup on. <laughs> calling him Oh, son. hey, Dad. <laughs> Female characters. Sarah Paulson does a good job. She does a good job. I agree. And, you know, she is, like, the head person of this not-so-secret society. Right, and then Anya Taylor-Joy is there, and... Charlene Woodard is there. Charlene Woodard is there. She, she actually really like her because she, she shows up and she has this interest in her son's interests. And even though he's like a mass murderer, she's like, I'm going to learn about comic books because my kid likes them. That's something, maybe. But really, it, it falls flat for me on Anya Taylor-Joy. I feel like they were like, we need somebody from the split movies. Well, she could have Stockholm Syndrome, I guess, and be there. And we could use her to kill one of the leads at the end. I don't know. It's just, it just feels very forced. 0.25 for Sarah Paulson. She does a good job. 0.25. Setting. It's Philadelphia, but it's like the most neutered Philly that's, that there's ever been on screen. We're just in this one We're inside hospital. this institution the entire time. There's a couple scenes like inside the Dunn household where I'm like, oh, wow, that feels so much like a Philadelphia house. I was like, wait, is this shot in my buddy John's parents' house? What is happening here? <laughs> they nailed the inside of the one scene. And then they were like, all right, we got our Philly inside somebody's house. Now let's just go to this hospital for the rest of the movie. There's nothing special about it. Yeah, I agree. Even like, like, hey, you can see Philly in the distance, but they added a giant skyscraper to it, so it's not even Philly anymore. I'm going to go zero. This thing could have been anywhere. It doesn't matter where it is. Right. It, it doesn't Philly even is look not... that good. Like, the setting doesn't look good. Yeah, it's got to be zero. Style and tone. I think the only thing that I like about the style and the tone about this is that a lot of what we see is sort of security footage in a way. Yeah, I like the way they use the, the security footage. It feels like everything in this movie is just electronic for the most part. And I kind of like that. Like you're always being watched somehow. There's always something keeping you at bay somehow. Right, and then that ends up being the twist at the end for the reveal. So it's like, it's great that they played that up. I also love what this movie does with color. Well, it does its usual shit that it does with the first two movies with color. Yeah, but it leans in hard on this, and it becomes almost comic booky. It has to lean in hard on it, or else this doesn't work at all. Right. So what are you thinking? Like a 0. 0.75, 0. 0.5? Yeah, I had me a 0. 0.75. I'm okay with that. Let's do 0. 0.75. I like that. Music. Wes Dylan Thornton came in, he reused some themes from Split, got permission to use some of the Unbreakable stuff, and then, uh, you know, 
I assume he did, but I don't remember any of it. Yep, I'm going to go zero. I remember zero. nothing of it. Zero for music. I don't, yeah. It's nothing. One-liners. I also got nothing there. It's an origin story. That's all I got. It's a cool line, but I'm not going to go around quoting that. This isn't a limited edition. It's an origin story. The only time it's appropriate to say that is when you're holding up an actual origin story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe a limited edition origin story. Very fair. Zero for one-liners. Finally, impact on the genre. I don't know if there is one. It's hard to say. It's a very recent movie. M. Night Shyamalan has said he doesn't intend to continue anything in this universe, so feels low. It does, but this movie also cost $20 million to make, and it made $246 million, so it absolutely cleaned up. Yeah, it did. I'm always impressed with what M. Night Shyamalan can do on budget. Well, he's unbelievable when it comes to actual filmmaking, yeah. the business end of it. He's able to turn out things that look unbelievable for almost no money every single time out. It's his story that's usually the issue. Right. I just I'm, For $20 million, just locking down this cast is impressive. It really is. That being said, I think I'm going to go 0.25 at the absolute max. I think 0.25 is appropriate. Give him credit for you know making his money, especially after Split. Yeah, that's fair. That is going to give Glass a total score of 3.75. I know I usually say that feels low, but that does feel low. It does. I agree. I thought I liked it more than that. I did too, but it's arbitrary, man. It's from the gut. Exactly. And it's funny that we have a problem with M. Night Shyamalan storytelling, but that's one of the places it got a one. Yeah, because he twisted on us. He did. He pulled, a twi- he pulled it right out under us. Subtlety was in the room the whole time. I couldn't believe it. I don't know where he was hiding the whole time. I saw him go. <laughs> so I guess next question is, what are we talking about next week? It's been a while since we've done an Ebert. It's been a really long time since we did an Ebert. So now it's up to the ghostly finger of Roger to point something out for us. And you can see our list of Ebert movies at kpodcasters.com underneath Ebert's sidekick tab that he has there. So you can see everything that's on his list. And what we do is completely random. We have no idea what's about to come up. We never know how it's, how it's going to roll out. And Dave. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Next week, we are going to be talking about the 2014 film starring Dwayne Johnson, Hercules. Okay. <laughs> Why not? I didn't even know that that was in the Ebert list. Brett Ratner. Oh, great. That fucker. Yeah. So here we go. Okay. Uh, next week, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Starring The Rock. Yeah, that's a surprise. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Blues Brothers. Email your questions and comments to kpodcasters at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at kpodcasters, where we always throw up a post asking for your questions and comments. And we only got one comment this week, and it's okay, because it is Jeff Miners, and he writes, Jeff Majors here. The Hague gave me enough time to write this message. I've never seen Glass. Well, time to go back to my cell. It's been torturous having to share it with some ginger guy. He won't say his (laughs) crime, but I think he touched another man's rhubarb. They say I'll be free when I watch (laughs) Faulty Towers 100 times. Problem is I can only watch one episode a week. Might take me a long time. Much love. If that's what it takes to get out of prison, I'll watch Faulty Towers all day. I love Faulty Towers. It doesn't seem like that rough of a sentence. 
No, but what you you got a ginger guy who won't tell you oh, his name. Yeah. Touch another man's rhubarb. You better cover up your rhubarb, but That's true. Keep, protect your rhubarb at all costs. Exactly. Brian, you got anything else? As a matter of fact, I do, Dave. Next month over on Patreon, we're doing something special. We are once again raising money for charity. We had a listener reach out to us a little while ago and sent a very nice message. Unfortunately, this listener experienced a loss over the holidays and told us that our episodes helped him get through it. And we asked if there was anything we could do in return. And this listener mentioned that the person that they lost was a regular contributor to Veterans Inc. And we have this platform, and it just makes sense that we use it for good. There's a quote from Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. Good is not a thing you are, it's a thing you do. And we have this platform, so we might as well use it. So for the month of March, we're going to be once again raising money like we did in October on our Patreon. Everything we raise is going directly to Veterans Inc. And we're going to be talking about Young Frankenstein, so it's going to be a good time. It's absolutely going to be a good time. Open up those purse strings in March. You can close them up again in April if you really, really want to. It's about doing the right thing and giving back. And it's going to be potentially a good percentage of the content you're going to hear in March. Because sometime early in the month, we're going to be taking our first ever Cape Podcasters break. But like a true break this time. Yeah, we're not going to be doing Loki episodes in the middle. Yeah, and it's my fault. I didn't pull out again. So (laughs) I was able to do the show through kid number two coming. What was that, a year ago, a year and a half ago, whatever it was? Yeah. I don't even know. I'm not going to have the time to do it with kid three. No, it's it's a lot to take care of at once. Yeah, so we're going to be taking a true break. Uh, You're still going to get your Patreon episodes. Yep. You still might get a couple little surprises here and there, depending on time. But we are going to be taking a true break. I know we have this streak of 160-some-odd episodes that we've done every single Monday for that stretch. But it's unfortunately going to have to come to an end, and we will be back pretty shortly after. We're only taking a few weeks off, but it's a needed few weeks so I can get my life in order. You can get all of your your taking care of the kid nonsense out of the way so we can go back to talking about superhero movies. The big one's going to watch the little one, and then I'll be watching the capes and the tights again. It'll exactly. Be great. That's why you have the big one. Exactly. What's the point? If That's not it. Let's not get into <laughs> semantics here. Either way, we're taking a break. You're still going to get your Patreon stuff, but definitely, definitely, definitely subscribe in March. Donate, donate, donate. Cannot repeat it enough. We're going to give you guys a little bit of a taste if you're a subscriber next week with Blues Brothers for free. But once you hear that, head on over to patreon.com slash kpodcast. Just subscribe for a little $1 a month. It's going to a good cause in March. Exactly. So, Brian, besides all that, do you have anything else? No, that's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Hercules. Same pod time. Same pod subtlety. Same pod subtlety.